Mac Power Users episode 498, Back to School with Jake Wilson. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett and I'm joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hello, Mr. Hackett. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm ready to go back to school. It's fall, you know. It's Well, it's not cool yet here, but one day it'll be cool here again. And, you know, the kids are back. Routine is coming back into my life. It's all good stuff. I'm not sure your kids agree, but okay. They're, they're not in love with the idea. <laughs> how, how were you as a kid? Did you like school as like an elementary school kid? Um, mixed. I, I had a lot of friends and a lot of cool stuff I did at school, but I always was happy. You know, there was something about that first day, or I guess I would say the last day of school and going home and jumping in the pool and knowing that there was no school, that there was something special about that feeling. But, but I was usually ready to go back by the time it was time to go back. Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't have a, a pool to jump into, but, uh, I was always ready to go back, but I was kind of a nerdy kid, not to anyone's surprise. Yeah, well, you know, I grew up in the suburbs. Our neighbor had a pool. There you go. And uh, we had a gate between our backyards, so they could come over our house. My my dad put one of those above ground jacuzzis in at one point, so they'd use our jacuzzi. We'd use our pool, open license. So it was pretty cool. That's a pretty good setup. Except I had to do all the work. I had to keep it clean. Mm. Well, you're using it. I mean, it seems fair. There you go. Uh, so it is now September, uh, so we're kind of wrapping down Relay FM membership month, the MPU membership episode has been up for a little while now. If you haven't heard that, David and I drafted Apple hardware. It was it was a lot of fun. I had fun going down memory lane and defending picks and uh, it was uh, it was a good time. So if you're a Relay FM member, thank you for your support. If you're not, you want to learn more, you can head over to relay.fm slash MPU and in the sidebar there's a, a couple membership links or you can go to relay.fm slash membership and learn about all the great perks. But David, you guys did something amazing on automators. I'm only about halfway through it, but <laughs> okay. tell me a little bit about what, what y'all did. Well, you know, it's just one of those things that grew. Uh, when we were in, Rose and I were together in Chicago for MaxDoc, and we got talking about, well, what are we going to do for the member episode? And we're like, well, you know, everybody's doing Lego. I said, let's do a board game. And then, of course, the board game that, the only board game that makes any sense is Mousetrap for automators. Mm-hmm. So we started out with the idea that we would do a mousetrap, like probably over video so we could see each other and like we'd have it somewhere. But then we realized we'd be together in San Francisco for the uh, Relay 5th anniversary. And then uh, Sal Sagoyan got involved and his <laughs> wife, Naomi. So so we went over Sal's house and we had enchiladas and we played a uh, mousetrap with Sal Sagoyan. It was it was quite fun. And it was interesting because the game went down. It's, it's almost like you'll think we rigged it because, like, the dice rolls were just like, there were some dramatic moments mm-hmm. in that game. And uh, you couldn't have scripted it better. It was fun. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so you can join Relay FM. A member to any show gets access to all this stuff. So if you, you know, support Upgrade, you get MPU and Automators and everything else or uh, however, however you want to do it. So... Uh, thank you for your support. It helps keep the lights on around here, and we really appreciate it. That's not all, though, Stephen. We got other things we're raising money for at Relay. We are. So September is National Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. And I know a lot of people know this about me, but maybe some of the MP audience doesn't. But my, I've got three kids, and my oldest is a brain cancer survivor. He is 11. He's doing really, really well. But that's thanks to 
the fine work uh, of the men and women at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, which is here in Memphis. It's in my own backyard. But it is a world-class institution for kids with catastrophic diseases. And we are working together this year to raise money for St. Jude. We do this every year. Our goal this year is $75,000. Thanks to the generosity of the Relay audience. Last year, we raised just shy of 70, so we feel pretty good about that 75. And the reason this is so important is because St. Jude doesn't charge families of patients anything. We've been a fam- uh, sort of a patient family, if you will, now for 10 years. Like, hand on heart, I've never received a single bill from St. Jude for anything. And that is only possible thanks to the community of people who raise money for the hospital. And it's really awesome. So you can learn more and you can donate at stjude.org slash MPU. Uh, we're going to be talking about this throughout the month of September. I'll give a little teaser uh, that Mike and I are going to be co-hosting like a six-hour live video podcast on <laughs> uh, September 20th. We'll talk more about that as we get to it. Uh, that's to raise money for St. Jude. And I think I'm going to talk about some of the behind the scenes of that, maybe on a future uh, Mac Power Users episode, one of our feedback shows, can talk about sort of what's gone into the, into that. Uh, but for now, we would love your support, stjude.org slash MPU. Now, I want you guys to use that MPU URL that we're going to put in the show notes, because I want the MPU community to stand and deliver here. I w- actually, I want to make the other hosts feel bad. <laughs> Is that okay? It's not a race, but sure. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly for that anytime. All right. I'm putting I'm putting in a significant donation as soon as we hang up here. So I want to kick it off for MPU. And you know what? Uh, if the MPU crowd delivers, I may do another significant donation. So awesome. Uh, let's uh, let's all get in there and contribute. I, it's just a wonderful cause, and it does make you feel really good when you help something out like Saint Jude. They take sick kids and they make them better. It's pretty awesome. How do you beat that? How do you beat that? <laughs> can't can't in my book. That's for sure. All right. Well, thanks everybody in advance for helping out. The MPU audience has traditionally been big supporters of this, and I know in the past you guys have delivered. Please do again, and um, not only for Josiah, but for for all those kids there. And and also, Stephen uh, undersells himself. I know he's been working on this very hard in the background. It's not just that we're doing this drive together. The Relay Network is the first ever podcast network that has done something like this with St. Jude. We're kind of a test for them, mm-hmm. I guess I'd say. Yeah, we're, we're their first official podcast partnership. Yeah, and, and I want them to know that they picked the best for the first. <laughs> so everybody help out and... And I can't wait to see um, all the good we can do in the next month. Sounds good to me. All right. So I think it's about time to introduce our guest. Like we said, it's the autumn. School is starting for a lot of people. And that is more than just my kids. It's teachers and principals. And that's where we're going today. So welcome to the show, Jake Wilson. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate that. So Jake is a, uh, is a school principal. We've uh, had a lot of educators listening to the show over the years. We had a couple on the show, but Jake and I started talking via email and eventually telephone calls. And I realized we got to have this guy on the show. He's doing some pretty cool stuff with his Apple gear. Well, I'll tell you, it's uh, to me, it's an honor. I've been um, I've been a fan of you guys since uh, not very long after I made the switch from PC to to Apple World, which is a um, a switch I never thought I would have made. But ever since then, I got into podcasts pretty quickly and. You guys were early on my list. Really, it was selfish reasons. I wanted to educate myself. And then, um, you know, it's become just a show I look forward to, you know, every single episode. So good to be here. 
Well, thank you. And we've got a lot to cover today. We're going to talk about the fact that Jake is not only a principal, he's also a grad student. He's a family man. He's, he's juggling a lot of things at once. Got some pretty cool workflows. Um, and we're going we're gonna to talk about meetings because that's always fun. <laughs> Everybody deals with meetings. Right. Jacob, uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I am, I am an elementary school principal. Uh, I should say I'm a dad and husband first. Uh, those are my two favorite jobs. Um, I have uh, been married now for uh, 11 years this past summer, so that's pretty exciting times. Um, we have uh, several kids. Um, we've, uh, we actually have ad- adopted all of our kids, and uh, somewhat miraculously, we won't get into this uh, story, but uh, just trust me when I say it's miraculous, we have a kid on the way. Um, who my wife is, we are pregnant. And so, um, so that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Uh, Which is kind of a surprise to find out. (laughs) And, uh, let's see, we, I have a a 15 year old who's headed into her freshman year of high school. I have a 14 month old. Um, and then I had, we had a child, um, uh, about two years ago, uh, who we had adopted. She was born with a, a pretty rare, um, heart, um, genetic heart disorder. And, uh, she, she passed away at five months old. So it was about a year, well, it'll be two years in November. Um, and so, uh, so I like to say we have three kids. We have one on the way. Uh, we're a big fan of a big family. So I don't think that we're done. Uh, we are going to have to buy a different house because I do not have enough room in this house. (laughs) That's become an issue. I know that pain. Um, other than, yeah, yeah, it's a tough one. So we're kind of between like, do we add on to the house? Do we buy a new house? Not a hundred percent sure where we're going with that. So, um, but we like our neighborhood, so it's a little bit of a tough decision. So, uh, anyway, I, um, I, I am an elementary school principal of a school of about four hundred and thirty some odd students. We go from uh, pre-K Head Start, which for us is three year olds, which is kind of wild to think about in an elementary school, uh, all the way up to fifth grade students. And uh, so, you know, like I said, all told, about four hundred and thirty kids. Uh, for our district, our school district here in North Carolina, that's a little on the average to maybe high average uh, size. A lot of our schools are in that 300 range, so we're a little bit bigger than uh, average. But um, that's about, uh, it's not our biggest, it's definitely not our smallest, so kind of right there in the middle. Um, I am a full-time graduate student uh, working on my doctorate right now, so I'm about, I'd say about halfway through that. I've got probably a couple of years left on that. You know, once you get past the uh, all the class stuff, then it's like, you know, now it's time to write your dissertation and they are happy to take your money as many semesters as you want to continue doing. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, well, my hope is to not give them, uh, is to give them the least amount of money. Uh, I like where I go to, uh, uh app state, um, and I go, it's fully online. And so, uh, I've been going there, um, you know, like I said, for a couple of years now. And so I've got a couple of years left, but, uh, uh, looking forward to finishing that up. And, um, I recently started uh, this year, actually, a uh, small consulting firm uh, where I do some Google training and um, uh, leadership training for uh, other school districts. Um, and uh, so that way I can kind of charge a little on the side. And it gives me a great excuse to buy Apple gear. A good friend of mine is in education. He said that the biggest problem with teaching teachers to become Google experts is that they never stay teachers. They realize how how well they can do uh, helping oh, set yeah. up other schools that it's actually hard to retain them then. Absolutely. And and there's been some interesting um, programs. Apple has a program like this. Google has a program and there's a few others where uh, you can be certified, um, you know, by the, by Apple or Google, Apple certified teacher, Google certified teacher. And um, there's some benefits that come with that. And it's uh, works out pretty well on a, um, on a resume because, 
you know, you're able to kind of, you're able to kind of say, look, I, you know, not only can I teach other teachers, but, you know, this is something I can use in my classroom. And uh, it makes a, it makes a teacher very marketable. I can tell you as a person who hires teachers, uh, you know, somebody who has that kind of uh, competency around technology is somebody who is very interesting to us. And uh, you, because you have so much free time, you're also on some local boards. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I almost forgot. That's good. I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, I mentioned that um, our, both of our kids were uh, um, both of our, yeah, all of our kids have been adopted. Uh, two of them have been adopted through um, Bethany Christian services, which is a, it's a nationwide adoption agency, but it's a, um, they have, uh, you know, branches that are independently run throughout the nation. So, uh, I've got a, um, you know, a federal or not a federal, but yeah, you know, nationwide, uh, organization, but also we operate through the North Carolina, uh, branch. And so, um, after our second adoption through them, uh, we, we kind of went a different direction and, uh, but they, you know, we had such a great relationship that they asked me to serve on the board. So I've never served on the board of anything. So this is a very new, uh, experience for me. And I feel like I'm a big, big grown up now that I'm serving on the board of something, um, which is really a fancy way of saying you do a lot of work for free. Uh, so not sure how I got ripped into that, but I'm enjoying it so far. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. That's the second half of serving on the board. The first part is being impressed with yourself. The second part yeah, is sure. realizing, Oh wait, I'm doing a lot of work and <laughs> yeah, I'm not getting this, paid. <laughs> I'm not sure how they talked me into this. No, I kid. I, I do love the folks there and, and it, and it is really an honor to, to, uh, to help out. And, and quite honestly, it's not a ton of work. Otherwise I would have had to have said no. <laughs> so I'm getting really good at saying no here lately. Well, I, I'm listening to it. I'm wondering when does this guy sleep? <laughs> well, I, I will tell you this now, sleep is something that in my home is really important. We, you know, we, we figured out early on, um, so, somewhat for me due to, um, like medical reasons, nothing major, but I, if I don't get enough sleep, I, I get really, I don't feel good at all. And I'll, I'll end up sleepwalking and, and just, it's, it's not the, you know, it's just not good for my health. So I realized early on as a, as a young adult that, um, I had to get at least seven a night and really, really closer to eight. So I, I was just telling somebody recently when I go to conferences, like if it's like a couple of days, it's not a problem. But if it's like a week long conference, I always build one day in the middle. You know, like if it's Monday through Saturday, Friday, I'll usually do it on Wednesday night or Tuesday night. But I'll build in one day where I tell everybody I've got an appointment and I will go to bed at like seven. <laughs> just <laughs> just one night. That's where you go all the time. Yeah. Everybody's like, I didn't make it to Gruber's thing this year. I would wanted to go, but I decided, no, I'm hitting the wall. This is the night. <laughs> and I literally, I was in bed at like seven. It's just like one night of a full night's sleep and then you're good for the next two or three days. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. We all have countless accounts online social media, banking, everything in between. And each of those accounts deserves a strong, unique password to keep us safe. And that's where 1Password comes in for me, like it has for so long now. I use it to not only create strong, unique passwords, but to remember them and automatically fill them as well. My passwords are available on all of my devices. So if I'm at home or in the office or somewhere in between, I can log into anything I need to safely. It is back to school season. That's a great time to look at 1Password for families. It's a great way to keep students safe as they maybe go off to college or have their own devices now. It's really easy to get set up. You can set up different vaults so you have logins that only the parents have, say credit card or banking, and then share things for everyone else in the family. And of course, 
each student can have their own things there as well. So if they're logging into university email or campus activities, whatever they need to do, you know they can do it safely with 1Password for families. 1Password works across a wide range of browsers. So if they're on a desktop, a notebook, an iPad, an iPhone, Android, Windows, whatever, they can log in with their 1Password items. Head on over to onepasswordcom MPU to learn more. Go check out 1Password for Families, and you can sign up for a free 30-day trial. When you sign up at onepasswordcom MPU, you'll get 20% off. Our thanks to 1Passwords for supporting Mac Power Users and keeping us safe online. So, Jake, let's start with your hardware. So you've got a bunch of things going on, but what Apple gear are you driving Okay, so uh, I've had one recent addition. I'll just kind of, I'll kind of work. For, let's do size. I'll go from uh, smallest to biggest. How's that? Um, I, I'm running a um, for iPhone. I've got a um, a 10x Mac, 10x Max. Man, that's a harder thing to say than I realized it was. Uh, we, I'm on the, uh, you know, we upgrade every year, kind of a plan. Mm-hmm. And um, my wife, I, I've. I feel like she's caught the nerd bug from me. So she is also on that upgrade every year plan. So we, um, my daughter recently got a phone. She, she, um, you know, she either gets a hand-me-down and, or a, a smaller device. And, and, uh, but we, we like to have kind of the, the new one each year and, uh, play with the new hardware and that kind of thing. So I'm running the 10 S max. I've been a huge fan of the big phones. Uh, I've read a couple of rumors where we're looking at even a slightly bigger phone coming out. Who knows? I, I can pretty much guarantee you I will get the biggest one that Apple has because <laughs> I love the big phone. I just just huge fan of that. Um, I uh, I've been a uh, MacBook just, Pro. So yeah. on that real quick, Jake. The um, yeah. it's interesting because there's a lot of people that just just hate the big phone. Um, but but what is it for you that makes it work? Well, I think it's a combination of stubby fingers, <laughs> okay, and uh, and 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 really just. Um, home screen and, and, um, you know, app real estate to, to be quite honest with you, I, you know, I spend a lot of time dealing with text and, um, you know, task management calendars, uh, those sorts of things. And I want to see as much data on the screen as I can. I can remember the first time I got the, the excessively large, uh, iPhone was when they demoed it at, um, at the, uh, the keynote and they turned the phone in landscape mode and the email came up like it did in, uh, on, on the iPad. I don't think not every app does that anymore. I don't, they may, that may have gone away. And honestly, I didn't use it that way very much, but that was the thing that got me, uh, really interested in that device because to me being able to interact with, uh, the text that's on my phone or the calendar entries or, you know, the task list and that kind of thing to be able to see as much of that stuff on one screen as possible. That is incredibly compelling to me. So for me, it's absolutely about the screen real estate. Now, do you do you use that to watch media or is it just for productivity type stuff? I, I will say the general use is productivity, um, you know, from time to time, if I'm you know, uh, killing a little bit of time, you know, I'll, I'll watch some, uh, some Netflix on there. I generally, to be honest with you, I don't, I don't watch a lot of, uh, media on my iPhone. Uh, it's, it's kind of funny. We, I, I'm generally the person who puts, uh, my son to bed each night and that's, it's kind of a little thing that we do. And so, um, I will, um, as I'm putting him to bed, I generally, uh, will watch a little bit of an, you know, an episode of the office or something like that on Netflix. And, um, so that's about the only media that I watch. Uh, otherwise it's mostly productivity, uh, to be honest with you, uh, you know, not a lot, a little bit of YouTube here and there, but like I said, just 
you know, I'd say it's a good 85% it's productivity. Yeah, I'm the same. I think that big phone is great if you like to to get work done on your phone. I mean, it's it's nice. And I guess, Stephen, you're kind of the same too, right? I'm sorry, you're no longer in the big club, are you? That's right. Yeah, I uh, I had the 10s Max and uh, ended up going back to the 10s. It was too big for me. And I, I came from the old Plus phones, but the, uh, the 10s is about the same physical size as the old Plus phones with, you know, all filled in with screen and... That was enough for me. It was just, uh, it was just too big for me to comfortably use. So I, I, my limit is kind of the 10s, maybe the 10r, and of course, you know, new iPhones are right around the corner. So who knows what will happen? I think, I think there is probably a market for an even an even bigger phone. Honestly, people really like like what you get out of them. But for me, that that 10 10s sizes, uh, that's about right for me. Well, when you think about it, the, the 10s gives you about the same screen, screen real estate as the old big iPhone did, mm-hmm. right? I mean, pixel wise. So I can see that. Yeah. And I, you know, I, it's funny because when I hold like my daughter, she uses the uh, iPhone seven and uh, it works pretty good for what she does. And it's funny because when I hold it, it feels like I'm holding an iPod. <laughs> I mean, the thing, it just, it it's, it's, I feel like my hand just swallows it, but there is something there. I will admit there is something compelling uh, about holding that small phone and just kind of having, um, it's almost one of those things I'd like to use it if I were going to, not that I do a lot of traveling, but if, if I, you know, if I were overseas and, you know, just needed something that I can just take with me and not worry about it, I, I can see using a small device like that in a, in a travel situation. Again, nobody in my family has a need for multiple iPhones for one person, but you know, I could, it's, there's something about that small phone, but I can tell you unequivocally at the end of the day, I'm going back to the big phone. I love my gigantic iPhone. Are you also a gigantic iPad guy? Did you get the biggest iPad? Interestingly? No, uh, I didn't. And, uh, and there's a reason for that. So, so I guess that's a good segue into the next device. And that right now I'm running an iPad pro 10.5. So I've been an iPad pro since the day they came out. This was a device for me that was when I went with the, with the pencil, with the keyboard, like this was a, this was a device I was looking for. I was using an iPad mini for a couple of years and uh, I kept, you know, I kept trying to find um, applications where I could use handwriting and things like that. That was always really compelling. So when this when this pencil came out, I knew that this was a device that I was going to really like. So uh, I initially got the 9.7. And um, in in my job, there's a, you know, uh, the, our school district, of course, we, you know, provides some devices for, for staff members of, of varying degrees. And uh, I did actually try out for a time. Um, I, I was working at a different school and I, I was I tried out the uh, 12.9. And it was a, a school issued device. And so I, I decided I'm going to give this a try, really give it a go. So I made it my main um, iPad device. And and honestly, there were a lot of things that were really nice, um, especially sitting in meetings and things like that. The, the extra real estate was really good. Here's what I didn't like about it. I did not care for the handwriting on the giant screen. I felt like I was moving my hand way too much. Um, I felt like the 9.7 or, you know, the 10.5, that smaller form factor was, I was quicker. And so when I was doing handwritten notes, I felt like it was a little bit more along the lines of a, a typical notepad. And, uh, I felt like my, my note taking was just a little bit more, uh, productive, a little bit more, um, uh, it, it seemed more natural, I guess is the best way to put it. So, um, after I, after I spent a little bit of time with the, uh, 12.9, uh, my wife had commandeered my 9.7, 
So sadly, when I moved schools, I had to purchase myself a new one. So she kept the 9.7 and I got the 10.5. So um, I, I, I'd on a daily basis, fight the temptation to get the 11 inch. It's that, I'm really, it's a compelling device. Oh, just, just wait. I feel like we're going to, you know, we're coming up. It's been, it's been long enough. I suspect we'll I've, been, some. I've been thinking the same thing, the fall. I can't, I'm very interested to see what happens here in about a month or so. There's something about that new design though. I really, really like it. <laughs> yes. But, but yes. I, you know, I've never heard someone say that before. I mean, I usually the complaint with the 12.9 is, you know, it feels like a lunch tray and carrying it around is a pain. And even just like holding it in your lap feels too big, but I've never heard the handwriting problem, but I, I can see how you would think that, you know, it does, it would feel kind of weird writing on a piece of glass that big. Yeah. See, one of my workflows with this is, you know, my, we, we, uh, we go to church here locally and I have ever since I was able to take on the iPad, I became really just dedicated to paperless notebooks. Um, I don't have anything against paper. Um, I can see the, uh, the draw, David, I know you're a big, uh, fancy pen, fancy paper guy, and I appreciate that. But I, I love my digital notes. And so for me, sure. um, you know, when I when I, I went, you know, whole hog into um, you know, finding a good note taking app, I settled with good notes. I'm a big fan. And so That's I would a good take, one. I would it's a great app. Oh my and I am pretty sure I learned about it on this show. But anyway, I, I take all my sermon notes, you know, that kind of thing. And I just felt like this real weird guy sitting in church with a giant piece of glass on my lap. Uh, trying to take my notes. My wife probably made fun of me a little bit about that too. But uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, I, I went back to the 10.5. I don't think I'll ever go to the big one. To me, that is just, it, it is the perfect size. I, and I've held the 11. I like it too. Uh, it, it, that is, that is, that machine was built for me. I feel like. Yeah. Steven's the same thing, man. You went all, you went 12 nine, but then you came down to 11, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My story this year was my iOS devices got smaller, but my laptop got bigger. <laughs> uh, I I, I kind of get what you're saying, though. The there is something kind of nice about the you know, the ten and a half or eleven, which like footprint wise are very similar. Where you can easily hold it in your lap. You could probably even hold it with one hand with the Apple Pencil and be able to use it like a traditional notebook. And in fact, some ways the iPad Mini is maybe the best example of this, where it kind of is the size of a, of a physical notebook. But uh, that makes sense to me. And I think I think that's kind of what's nice about the iPad range, if you're using it always like a laptop replacement with multiple apps and a keyboard or something like that. Yeah, the 12.9 has its upsides. But if you want something a little more compact, Apple makes that too. And I think they're doing a good job at meeting everyone's kind of different needs with the iPad line right now. I'd say for me too, in my line of work, I spend a lot of time not in my office, and um, and and I I like that about my job. To be honest with you, I get to be in the building. I spend a lot of time with kids, with teachers, and so for me, having an ultra portable device that allows me to type, that allows me to write, it allows me to type on glass, it allows me to type on the keyboard, and switch between all three of those modes incredibly quickly without a lot of fuss. That's a big win. You know, it's nothing for me to be able to grab my iPad and be handwriting a note in the middle of the hallway, sit down at a table, flip the keyboard out and start, you know, banging out some, some, some words, and then, you know, turn right around and, and, you know, manipulate the screen with my fingers. And so that, that to me made the 10.5 or the 11 inch, again, same footprint there, but that to me makes those devices the, that's why I say it's built for what I do because it's just the right size. You know, I, I have heard lots of people who like to type on glass or who like to write or who like to type. I've heard from very few people that like to do all three. 
And um, I want when we get to workflows later, I want to hear about that and how you jump between those two. But first, I want to hear about your Macs. Got it. Okay, so um, I have two MacBook setups. So I my first MacBook that I ever bought was a MacBook Pro back in 2012. Um, I, this is a um, this was my first foray into the Mac line. Um, I was a Dell person, uh, you know, through and through. That was I was kind of a dedicated fanboy for a little while. That was my first computer ever uh, that I purchased with my own money was a Dell. We had some Tandys when I was a kid, but. Um, anyway, so I, I, you know, I was a big Dell fan and uh, I'd had a couple of years where, you know, I'd bought them and six months later, you know, they were, they were bricks. They just weren't, weren't holding up. So I, I kind of got fed up. Um, and, uh, at, at the time I had, I had an iPad mini, which I liked, I had gotten an iPhone, which I liked, and I had started grad school to become a principal. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to get me a new computer. And so I ended up getting, um, the, uh, the MacBook pro this, I think I, I did the, uh, 500 gigabyte spinning drive and, um, upgraded the Ram a little bit and, uh, man, I tell you, never, ever looked back. So that one was actually still working up until about a year ago and it had slowed down to an unbearable level. Um, I, I use an iPad, I'm sorry, a, a MacBook air, uh, at school. It's my school issued device. And, uh, and that, that, for a while was my main device. I was using it, you know, I was taking it back and forth to work. I was using it at home. Uh, I was using it at work and, and really it was, it, I was, it was, it was holding up well. It was really a, um, a workhorse for me, but I had started to notice I was hitting the top end of those limitations. If I was doing really any video work, um, if I was working with very large spreadsheets, what I do from time to time, um, I, I was, I was hitting the end of the, um, the, I don't know if the CPU is just maxing out, man. And I, and so I, I knew I needed something with a little bit more power. So when I began uh, my consulting business earlier this year, uh, I purchased a uh, MacBook Pro and I had been eyeballing the pros for a while. Well, they did the, the, um, the I guess it was a small update uh, earlier this year. And I ended up, that was right after they changed, they, they say they updated the keyboard. Right. Uh, I don't know what they did different with the keyboard. I just know it was updated. Is that working okay for you? Honestly, I've had no problems. And quite frankly, I, I type pretty fast on it. I, now, that's not to say that it won't mess up in you know two months from now. Uh, but I've had no issues whatsoever. I really have enjoyed it. I'll tell you, my only complaint is is the arrow keys. You know, that up and down business mm-hmm. is not my i'm not a fan of that other than that key travel um you know the speed of typing and i write a lot of papers um you know so those kinds of things i i've i've had i've had i have no complaints i I actually i actually really have enjoyed it um and i use now at, at work so i so so i use a couple of different setups with both of my macs um my one at work my mac my macbook air has become a very stationary device and it's at my desk and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll send you a, a picture of my setup, but basically I'm running a, a MacBook air with two external monitors. Um, I didn't know they I, could drive to. <laughs> yeah. So you have to, you have to do some funky things to, to drive to. Um, I, I had been driving an extra one for a while and I really, I really like external monitors. Yeah, so Steven, he, he has three. Yeah. That's not, that's not true. It makes me jealous. <laughs> oh, is it four now, Stephen? No, come on. You're come on. Don't deflect, David. You're the external display guy. I can't. I can't live that lifestyle. Oh man, I I, I have been a fan for a while now. Well, so what happened was I, I was needing 
needing listen at it, nobody needs it but um we'll just say i needed it uh i needed an additional monitor you know for some reference material and things like that and so um i, I did i went on this kind of little little bit of a quest to see if i could do it everything i read said no well i found this obscure uh article about a an adapter made by uh display port that's the name of the company and uh, I'll send you a link to what I bought because uh, it, it has worked like a champ. I've had about a three-month period where it broke. Uh, Matt, you know, Apple updated the software. <laughs> DisplayPort didn't didn't keep up. I know, crazy. Yeah. yeah. So about three months, I was back down to one. So that was frustrating. Um, but then once that was done, they they uh, they did a patch, and I was able to fix it, and we were we were good to go again. And so this company makes this little adapter that um, what you have to do is from the back of the monitor run an HDMI cable to this adapter. It changes HDMI over to USB. Um, and for, a, a, this is this is really kind of janky, I'm going to be honest. When you turn on the computer for about five minutes, the monitor is, a, it's got some lines in it. So it's a little bit uh, strange. Okay. How, so how are you living it, this way, man? Hey, come on. <laughs> here, here, well, what, here's the way I live there because I turn the computer on and I go make my coffee at school. And by the time I get back, it, we're, we're good. It, it's The lines have gone away. It looks clear. There's no lag in the mouse. You know, it's in the cursor. It's, you know, it's, it's good to go. But I, I will tell you, it is not the most elegant of, of setups. It looks beautiful. I, it is, I'm pretty sure my MacBook Air is, is uh, it's struggling to keep up with these two monitors, but it does the trick. So, so, so anyway. is the device just a converter from HDMI to USB? There's not a video card or anything in there? I, there must be something in there because it is a box and, you know, it's a, uh, it, you plug in the USB on one end and, um, and uh, I'm sorry, the uh, HDMI on one end, and there's a USB on the other end. I, there, now there is here's the here's the frustrating part. There is a driver, so you have to go to DisplayPort's website. You have to download this driver. You have to install the driver. Um, use the driver to. Uh, it does some magic. Honestly, I don't understand it. It's above my above my intellect, and so um, I don't even get into it. I just know that when I plug that thing up. It it works and so after coffee yeah, it's got, after coffee, after it coffee it's gonna warm up for five minutes but it's kind of like uh, I compare it to a little bit like a uh, you know as a kid my mom drove this um, Ford Escort diesel and uh, in the wintertime, you'd have to go crank this this diesel up and you'd have to let it sit for honestly twenty minutes because if you didn't it just it just wasn't going to go you had to crank it up and you know it would it'd have to warm up for twenty minutes otherwise you, you could hit the gas but it's not gonna go anywhere you know so. kind of like me. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You gotta, gotta get warmed up in the morning. So, um, so that's my air. That's my that's my stationary. It stays on my desk. It, you know, that's what I work from when I'm sitting at my desk. When I'm away from my desk, um, uh, I I generally have my iPad with me anywhere I go. Um, I have uh, sort of sort of customized this. Um, in schools, we have these things called uh, multimedia carts. I'm sure you remember them, but you may not know what that means. It's essentially these metal carts that a lot of teachers would put things like uh, projectors on or um, yeah. you know, document cameras, things like that. So I found one that was just the right height for a standing desk. But the great thing is, of course, is it has wheels. So I feel like a real boss because uh, it's it's a good you know foot and a half deep, two foot wide, and I can wheel around the whole school with my with my MacBook Pro sitting up on top of there, I've got my iPad on the second shelf. I can grab that, um, and um, you know, so it, it's it's great because basically I have a mobile office. I can go anywhere in the building. I can work in the hallways. 
Um, I can park in the cafeteria and do a little work. And so uh, it lets me be super mobile, but I can still use the full power of my MacBook Pro, um, but I can get anywhere in the building. So it's great. Half standing desk will travel. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's exactly right. And I'll tell you, you know, it's it's a it's a win with my staff because, you know, I I've, first of all, I don't like being in the office, but it is I, I will say it's, you know, my staff have been very receptive of the fact that I'm available. I mean, I'm around in the building and, you know, if they need me, I'm I'm usually not more than, yeah. you know, a hallway away. So, yeah, it's worked out nicely. Yeah, it seems like part of a good principal's job is to have the back of his teachers and you're actually in the room. That's correct. <laughs> Yeah. They um. So tell me one thing on this MacBook Pro because uh, you, you got the new one. What are you doing with the Touch Bar, if anything? Okay. So so far, um, I've always been really compelled by the Touch Bar. I know I know some people are not big fans of this, but um, I, I have enjoyed it. I tell you the the probably the use that gets more uh, the thing that gets more use than anything else has been. Um, uh, the emoji picker, to be honest with you. But what I do, and, and of course, you know, volume because you don't have any other choice. Uh, but what I do like about it, I've used um, the uh, Better Touch tool has a, a custom, uh, you can build custom buttons in this thing. Yes. And so yes. I've just gotten into that. And um, I have found one that I use a ton. I do a lot of, um, uh, I didn't realize this in my job, but until I built this, but after I built it, I, I, I realized this is great. I, I use a custom button tool and it stays, you know, right on my touch bar. It's, it's a better touch tool is one that just lives up there. And so when I click that, it, it gives me this custom button to where if I, if, if with my cursor, if I have selected a file in the finder, I press this button and, and it automatically grabs the file. It opens up an airmail message. That's my email client that I typically use. Opens up airmail. It attaches it and then puts the cursor right in the two bar so I can you know type whoever it's to and send off an attachment. Really great solution. Is that an Apple script or how are you doing that? It is. Let me pull up touch bar. It, um, to, uh, probably not because I'm not really good at that. Uh, I've never sure. really gotten into it, even though I, I think I would really enjoy it. Let me see if I can... Uh, uh, is up. that just one of the better touch tool scripts? I mean, they have scripts. Yeah. And they, yeah. I'm yeah. sure that's what it is because I, I can tell you, I did no amount of coding for that to work. So, um, it cannot be, <laughs> it cannot be something that's super complicated. Um, that's something I've always wanted to do more about it more with is, is Apple scripts. I've just never, never had the time to get really to get into it. So, well, you know, when you're not getting your doctorate and raising all your kids <laughs> and running your school, <laughs> you know, maybe yeah. you can. Get I'll on that, it, I'll man. Put on my, I'll put it on my tinker list. I keep it on. <laughs> yeah. Be- Better so. Touch Tool is one of those utilities that really, I think, deserves to be in the same conversation as something like Keyboard Maestro or Automator or anything else on the Mac because it does give you the ability to jump through a bunch of hoops with a single press if you spend the time to get it set up. And I think it can be a little intimidating to get into it, but... Like you said, it comes with a lot of stuff out of the box to start tinkering with. And if you've got a a Touch Bar Mac and if you're like me, you're not super enthusiastic about the Touch Bar, I think this is worth a download because you may be surprised what you can get this thing to do. Yeah, I mean, even just like you can have it display the time all the time right there for you and or your calendar, your next appointment. It's it is a great utility for the Touch Bar. And, um, hundred percent. And if you're a set app subscriber, you get it for free. So, I mean, there's just a lot of different ways to get into that app. 
Well, and that's how that's how I ended up getting into um, uh, this tool is through Setapp. Setapp was something I had heard mentioned several times, and I just never really thought about pulling the trigger until I, I, I ended up. I don't know if they had a free trial or if I just ended up paying for it. But anyway, I I went with this and I started downloading a couple of things, and I thought, oh my gosh, so many of these these great. Um, little, some of them are single use, but some of them are things like, you know, uh, better touch tool where there, there's hundreds of things I can do with this thing. And, and I don't have many here, but I, you know, I've the, the, the three or four that I've got set up are ones that, um, I, I really use. I'm, I have kind of learned my lesson in terms of tinkering with this stuff. I used to get in, get into these applications and I'd sit on a Saturday and make, you know, 27 of these things and I'd use maybe two. And so I've sort of learned my lesson over the years to really what I end up doing now is I I think, okay, I have a thing that I keep doing over and over and over again on my Mac. And when I notice that, um, I go looking for a tool that, Mm -hmm. that will help me solve that problem quickly. And that has been a much better solution. Yeah. Or you could buy a 32 button stream deck like me and spend a bunch of time <laughs> reconfiguring your buttons. I mean, it's, it's all, it's all a choice, you know, <laughs> it, it, it is. <laughs> Once I'm done raising kids in grad school, I think that's, that's where I'll probably head. <laughs> this episode of the Mac power users is sponsored by Omni outliner. The latest version of Omni outliner for the Mac iPad and iPhone is a great example of just how much the gang at the Omni group cares about making the best productivity software. This outlining app is so much more than just a beautiful outliner. It's got automation, distraction-free mode, filters, slide-in sidebars, gorgeous styles, and more. Often people throw seemingly random bits of information at me. In those cases, it's my job to organize it, make sense of it, and then make that information work for my client. This is where, for me, Omni Outliner is essential. It makes order from chaos. I often share these outlines with clients so that we can collaborate on getting things right, and they always love them. They love the way it organizes complex information. They also love the way they look. To an extent, I view Omni Outliner's gorgeous-looking outlines as just one more thing that distinguishes me from others in my field. But don't forget, at the bottom, Omni Outliner is a powerful outliner. It's both pretty and powerful. Best of all, with their new Pro and Essentials versions, it's priced so that anyone can have the best outliner available for Mac, iPad, and iPhone. So head over to Omni Group today and give it a spin and let them know you heard about it here on the Mac Power Users. Jake, you know, we were talking on the phone about all the stuff you do as a principal, and it's really, truly impressive. I mean, you... You do spend a lot of your day moving around talking to your kids and your your teachers, but you also full, run a full administrative load at the same time. Maybe we should start with just the iPad and how you're using that to help you get through your day. Sure. No, I, I think that's that's great. I, um, you know, the iPad has really become it, it was one of those devices that I immediately fell in love with. And, um, you know, again, I mentioned, you know, my first iPad was a mini and um, I love the form factor of the mini. Uh, it, it, you know, but once the pro came out, all bets were off. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a pro fan that, and, and I'll, you know, that'll be a device that I use for years and years and years. I can, I can tell you that. And so for me, you know, just kind of looking, you know, through my home screen apps on my, on my, you know, pro, a lot of it has to do with schoolwork. It's a, you know, there are a couple of personal apps. I keep Amazon pretty close because we use that for a lot of shopping, but a lot of my, a lot of my stuff on my home screen, it's definitely school related. 
Um, but there's there's also a few that uh, are not specific to schools that I'm using quite a bit. You know, one of those, of course, I mentioned is GoodNotes. Uh, that's a that's one. If I'm if I'm in any kind of meeting uh, where the notes are for me and me only, then I'm generally I'm hanging out in GoodNotes. Um, I'm Could you explain that a little that. further? I mean, like, what yeah. do you have a template you use? I mean, how how do you use GoodNotes to take those notes? Sure. So, uh, you know, so in meetings, whether that's uh, whether that's at school, you know, I mentioned, you know, I take my sermon notes uh, on, on good notes as well. But um, essentially what happens is if if I'm you know, we do a lot of training in, in the school setting. And so if it's training that I'm receiving, um, I, I generally have a pretty um, a pretty well uh, organized folder structure within good notes. So uh, as soon as I open up good notes, my, my opening documents, everything is is sort of laid out in folders. Uh, I do have an archive folder that I keep old documents in, but then from there, it's it's broken down into my personal stuff, my professional stuff, um, and then each one of those kind of go into a, a deeper folder structure. So at the school level, um, you know, I, I've basically used this as a um, as a, a personal version of even um, you know field notes, where I have a, a general notebook that's that is my ongoing field notes. And so you know, I'm sitting in meetings that that may take the form of some doodles here and there, some um, you know, uh, uh, just, you know, kind of personal reflections and, and, and notes and that kind of thing. What I have found, though, honestly, over the past uh, really couple of years, I, I've really become a huge fan of, uh, of plain text notes. And I never really understood for a long time, never really understood the value of something like uh, Ulysses or drafts until I began to kind of take a look at, you know, Markdown and, and the, the value of something like that. So, um, so really, I'd say these days, a lot more of my notes are happening in drafts uh, or Ulysses. Um, drafts are, uh, that's my one-off. That is, that's probably my most used app on my, uh, both my iPhone and my iPad. I, I, I spend time in drafts just, I mean, all the time. During, during the day, this morning, I started out with two notes. I now have 26 um, you know, and it's, it, it just fills up all day long and it's any, it, it could be anything from, um, you know, random thoughts that I may have. And I just want to record those thoughts to a teacher who says, you know, Hey, I need a work order for, you know, the air conditioner is not working in my classroom, you know, so I, I'm, I'm putting that kind of stuff in and, um, you know, just all kinds of things. I've, I've gotten pretty good lately of, of writing in uh, markdown. And I find that that does really good when I go from drafts to an email, uh, so I use a custom, and I, I can send this to you, David. But I use a um, uh, a custom drafts action uh, that I probably stole from the um, uh, what do they call that? The uh, actions directory, I guess is what mm-hmm. it's called. Sure. Um, so uh, you know, I've used that. I've got a, a whole folder with um, some markdown actions, and and it's anything from. Uh, I'll give you a great example of that. Uh, one of those is a full staff email. So one of the drawbacks I've noticed on uh, the iPad. And I don't think this is an Apple problem. I honestly find it to be a Google problem. So we're a we're a school that spend you know we're we're in uh, Google Apps for Education, and one of the benefits of that is that everybody in our network has a searchable email address. So I can just start typing somebody's name, and if I'm on the MacBook, it just their name just pops up. Well, that does not translate uh, over to the iPad in any app that I've found. Now, if I've emailed them before, it'll pop up. But if it's somebody that I've never emailed before. You know, I, it, it doesn't just search the the, uh, the directory. So what I've done is I've created a full, I've created a few groups. And and so for me, one of my most used groups is uh, my staff group. So 
for example, if I'm sending a full staff email, um, I've got a, 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 um, a markdown uh, action that basically grabs uh, grabs the contents of the drafts. It takes the first line and makes that your subject, and then the rest of it is is in the body. It puts it in, uh, goes from markdown to, um, I guess, in HTML, and then um, and then it sends it to a group that I've already put in there. Now. I keep that group updated through a process of a shortcut. So uh, throughout the year, I may hire anywhere from, you know, two to half a dozen staff members. You know, things happen, people take other jobs, what have you. And so as I'm hiring those people, uh, anytime I hire a person, uh, there's a, I have a shortcut. So uh, once I've hired that person, I hit that shortcut. That shortcut creates uh, about four OmniFocus uh, tasks that uh, go through the different places where I have those email addresses stored. I've got, got them in MailChimp. I've got them in my, uh, my Google um, uh, contacts list, and I've got them on drafts. So I go open up drafts. I open up that custom uh, action, and I add their email address in there. So that way, when I send a, uh, a full staff email, I don't have to search for every list, and I don't have to you know worry about, uh, I don't have my groups on my 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 iPad. I can just go right into drafts. I can compose the whole the whole email in drafts. Hit the button, send it off, and it's done. And so, um, and I, every time I do it, I get this weird sense because no one knows the amount of work that goes behind that. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, all that all that complicated. So, but you're working around a limitation in in iOS that it doesn't pull. That's right. You know those directories and stuff from Google. That seems like a weird oversight to me since the Mac does it. Hopefully iOS will get its act together for you. And and I still I, I don't know that I'm convinced that it's an iOS problem or if it's a you know but I I can't find a single email app that does this. You know what happens is it, you go to you go to you know contacts.google.com if you work in a system or a, a you know if you use Google Apps right the G Suite apps then you can create these custom groups right and that's great. So I can have a group for let's say third grade and I just want to email third, my third grade teachers. Well, that's great as long as I'm working in the, the web client of Gmail. But as soon as I go over to the to the iPad there, I can't find a single thing that pulls that group um, reliably uh, across. Airmail does it a little bit, but it's just not consistent. So anyway. Yeah, it's always the problem right, with Airmail. The, Correct. The, yes, yeah. it is the problem with Airmail. <laughs> I, you know, I, I was having trouble. I was trying to use Airmail seriously uh, last year for a little while, and I found that it didn't. It was a did a very poor job of finding my contacts when I would type a subject line. Where if I was an Apple Mail, it would always find them. But um, but I I agree with you. I think there's something there that isn't really solved yet, and uh, I, I'm sure Apple has some responsibility too. It seems like. That should be maybe it should be a common database or a contacts database access. I don't know what the issue is, but but there is something to that because mm-hmm. on the Mac it's never an issue, and on iOS it it often is. One of the things you had said earlier was you know you do a lot of handwritten notes with good notes, but you use drafts. I think did you said you had over twenty drafts just today? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it, it just kind of looking at those, um, you know, it's it's. Like I said, I started out with I generally try to clean those out, you know, every couple of days if if I don't get them there, uh, definitely on our on my weekly review. But I, um, you know, it's things just looking through here. uh, You know, I've got a lot of it is task oriented. Yeah. Um, You know, I've got you just kind of looking through. I've got send a press release to the local paper. We've got an event coming up. Um, I've got to change over along uh, one of our fax lines to to a long distance 
Uh, so that's a task. I mean, you know, it's it's stuff that mostly isn't urgent, um, but it's stuff that I just need to get done, you know. And so yeah. it goes in sure. on my drafts list, and that's where we go from it, you know. So, and that's like yeah, uh, that, triage for you, basically. Uh, I, absolutely, I, I I treat I treat my um, my drafts list a lot like I do my email list. So you know, as I'm looking through it, I I do the old. Um, David Allen thing where it's like, okay, can I do this in two minutes? Great. Do it. If not, it goes into my task list. If it's uh, information, it goes into reference in Evernote and uh, if, or it's trash, you know? <laughs> and so yeah. like I'm brutal and I go through it and I can, you know, I'll sit here after we get, get done recording and, you know, I'll run through this in about probably about 15 minutes and I'll have the whole thing down to zero, you know? Um, so it, it honestly, it's a, it's a, to me, it is a, it's a wonderful collection tool, but it's it's an even better uh, tool for sending text. And I know this is the developer's you know whole purpose is sending text where it belongs. You know, yeah. I never realized uh, what what the fact that so much of what I do starts out as text, and then I go and do something with that text. I didn't realize how much that was true until I started using drafts, and then I'm amazed by how often I start in drafts. You do know? you have the drafts app on your Apple Watch? I do. And, uh, I, I do use it from time to time. Um, I, I don't want to say this too loud because my wife might be getting mad at me for, uh, for buying an Apple watch in the beginning. I like my Apple watch, but I gotta be honest with you. I don't use it a ton. I mean, I obviously yeah. I use it to tell time all the time. Um, and, and then I wear it every day. And of course, you know, um, just a little bit of fitness tracking here and there. Um, but the truth about it is, is it, it's, it's, you know, I, I've got my phone in my pocket all the time, um, and and so it that usually comes out. I will tell you, the um, you know, getting the alerts on my on my wrist that's a that's a that was a game changer from day one. Yeah, that's I, I would the reason I say is because I think a lot of the third party apps are you know the developers biting off more than they can chew with that little screen, but drafts is like the poster child of a, of a watch app. I mean, it is in my opinion probably the most useful complication because all it is is a button you tap it and you talk to your watch and then when you get back to your phone or your computer or wherever you see drafts it's added you know and it's a it's like the perfect example of a good watch app in that sense well and i'll say drafts too you know when when drafts went over to its um subscription model and and you we were able to to kind of uh play nice with shortcuts when workflow went to shortcuts um that that was a huge piece for me because when if when I'm able to sort of um, uh, you know automate some of this, um, it becomes an even bigger uh, even bigger deal because the thing is now being able to run an action from a shortcut and and not even have to go into drafts to swipe to the right, swipe to the left, pick the action, you know, do do all the thing. I can just I can make my shortcut do the action. Man, that is that's a beautiful thing. It, it's wonderful. Could you give us an example of that? Uh, I use, um, we have a, uh, as a principal, one of my responsibilities is to um, have some meetings with a particular group of students in our school. So uh, one one group of those students are students with uh, individualized education plans. Okay, so IEPs, we love our acronyms in, in education. And so uh, one of my responsibilities is to um, ensure that those meetings are 
are, uh, that they follow certain laws and that, you know, everybody is, um, you know, is doing what they're supposed to do within those meetings. So I attend every single one. And there's generally anywhere from two to five, maybe half a dozen in a week. Uh, that's about the average number. So this is this is a great, 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 uh, you know, area of my work life to use uh, a shortcut and, of course, then a draft. So what I uh, what I'll do is I'll open up drafts when I get in there. I'm usually doing this, by the way, on an iPad. So I could do it on the phone, but it's definitely not the tool for the job. So uh, open up drafts on my iPad and I hit um, IEP minutes. So IEP is individualized education plan. So I'll hit IEP minutes. And when I do that, it pops up with uh, it's going to ask the purpose of today's meeting. Any any of those meetings have uh, have defined purposes, then ask me the child's name. Uh, so, and this is all, these are all questions that are being asked, um, in the shortcuts app. So, sure. uh, then I, then it asked me the family members present. So, I, you know, we have to list that we've got the family members in there. Um, and then it's going to ask me who the teacher is. So we list the teacher, uh, and then I get a list to pick from where I can add some additional folks. So in a school, uh, you have, um, you know, school psychologists, you have speech pathologists, behavior liaisons, occupational therapists, all kinds of related services that you may have to add. So uh, it's, it's it asked me to, to check the ones that I want to so I can check, you know, all of them or just a couple of them. And then I press OK. And then it creates uh, an OmniFocus task for me to send these minutes to our lead EC teacher. Okay, so then it takes all that data uh, that it asked me and it puts it into an IEP. Uh, I'm sorry, it puts it into a drafts um, and then um, it, it allows me to have the, um, you know, I've got space to do the notes and all that kind of thing. So I type the minutes as we go through the meeting and then I have a, an automatic action um, in the, or an action in the right-hand panel where I send that off as a markdown message because, of course, it, I've had it pasted into drafts as markdown. And so then the the outcome of that is when I send the markdown um, you know, email message, I send that to my EC teacher and it just looks great. You know, it's got it's formatted in uh, uh, it's formatted in markdown. It's got headings. You know, it's got all the people who are present. It just is a terrific uh, looking uh, set of notes that honestly, a lot of it I didn't type. It was check boxes and and lists and things like that. So um, I, I do that a couple of different ways. If it's a pretty standard meeting where the minutes um, aren't really all that detailed, because some sometimes we have some of those meetings, then I've I've had shortcuts ask me whether I want to automatically send the um, the automatically run the draft. Um, and so if I click yes, then it goes through, you know, if yes, do this. So it runs through the automatic draft uh, or runs through the automatic, it does the action in drafts. So, um, yeah. it, you know, pastes the information in drafts, then it goes ahead and runs a markdown message and I send it off. It's, if it's something I've got to type some more notes, then I, I'll say no. And it just pastes the information into a draft and then, you know, off I go typing and then I'll do the action myself. So that's a pretty good, um, uh, example of, of, of using the automatic um, actions and drafts. I, I've, I've been a big fan of that one. Yeah. And the, and the reason you probably have to do that is because you could, there is an email action in shortcuts, but there's no rich, there's no rich text. So what the advantage of getting it through drafts is you're able to send it off as a rich text message, which looks a lot better. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've been tinkering with one where, um, because I honestly like using PDFs for this purpose more, even more so than I do in an email. Email is fine. And, and in terms of, you know, um, 
you know, doing my job and doing it to the letter of the law. Email is totally acceptable, but I do, there's just something that seems more official about using a PDF. So I've been working on a draft that will do that, that will take that information. Less editable. Yes, very much so. (laughs) And so anyway, I've been working on, uh, you know, a a situation where I can do it that way. Uh, It builds a PDF and sends the PDF as an attachment. And uh, anyway, um, it'll, it'll do the exact same thing, but that's, you know, that's kind of the, um, the gist of that. One of the fun things about shortcuts though, is once you figure out like the thing you described for me, where you go to a meeting, you take notes, it, then it does something to automatically send them off. That is a skill once you have that you can apply to all sorts of different scenarios. So I'm guessing those, once you build one, you just duplicate it and make small changes to make it work. Absolutely. And and I've, you know, in terms of uh, one of the things I found when it, when we were dealing with workflow, um, I I was a slow sign on with workflow. Um, But then once, once they're toward the end, and then once we were acquired by Apple and, and, and we changed over to shortcuts, I, I went in whole hog. And one of the challenges I found was the sheer number of workflows that I had. And so dealing with that became a real issue because I love the, the widget screen and being able to see my, my workflows from that. But, I, but of course I couldn't fit all of them in there, nor did I want to fit all of them in there. I've, you know, hundreds. What I found was this, uh, and I don't know where I heard this from, but I, I definitely stole this idea. First thing I do is I color code. So if it's, uh, if it's work task related, it's a certain color and that kind of thing. The other thing I did was at the, the beginning of each color category, I've created um, a, a shortcut that leads to other shortcuts. So to give you a great example of that. Nested shortcuts. Yes, exactly, exactly. So to give you a good example that I use a a work, I have work task workflows. And so I just have work WFS, so that stands for workflows. And then inside that shortcut, um, basically I have choose from menu, and then each menu item is uh, the title of a shortcut. And then inside that menu item for each one, I just just do the run shortcut shortcut. And then I I make sure that I'm running the right one. so when and then I, the only one I include in the widget is that first workflow. So from right. my home screen, swipe over, looking at the shortcuts list, type workflows, and it gives me my whole list of ones I can scroll through that and pick the one that I want. Yeah, I've got a video walking you through how to do that in the new shortcuts field guide that's going to come out with iOS 13 because that nice. is even more relevant now because once you get iOS 13 loaded you'll be able to have those shortcuts on your desktop at all times because you can display Ooh. two widgets on the left side. So what See. I have done is I just have those those triggering shortcuts always on the screen on my iPad and right. getting to them. And and what when the real like ninja level to this is shortcuts of shortcuts. So you have multiple levels. Like for me as a lawyer, the, I have the legal one, then I have the corporate forms and I have the LLC forms and they're different sets. It's like a separate shortcut. So like there's another nested shortcut inside the nested shortcut. Sounds crazy, but when you start using it, it it actually makes it very fast. I'm just sitting here, here thinking about how far we've come with automating content. This is really, you know, you're taking these meeting notes that maybe used to write in a form, but you're automating them to make them smoother. And uh, this, this post I wrote in like 2011 popped in my head where I made a PDF to do some of this, just like make all my meeting notes look the same. And then over time it became a text, ex- text expander snippet. And now if I still had a need for this, it would definitely be a shortcut. It's a great way to get um, like structured text into something. Like I said, you can email it or share it out. Um, you know, there's no need to handwrite stuff over and over. That's, that's, uh, that's no fun. 
I think the next time you have a meeting with Mike Curley, you should you should have a shortcut that, that sends him a PDF at the end. I think he would. Uh, I think he'd love that. Yeah, I think he would too. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Linode. With Linode, you can instantly deploy and manage an SSD-powered server in the Linode cloud. And you can get it up and running in just seconds with your choice of Linux distro, resources, and node location. It doesn't matter if you're working on your first server or deploying a complex system, Linode are the folk to go to. They offer the fastest hardware networking with outstanding customer support if you ever need any help. And again, it's super easy to launch in the Linode cloud server. Their block storage is available in Newark, Fremont, Dallas, Atlanta, Frankfurt, London, and Singapore, and soon to be released in Tokyo as well. And version 4 of Linode's RESTful API is out of beta and includes a officially supported Python CLI. And right now, Linode is hiring. If you want to learn more and check out what they're looking for, just go to linode.com careers. We've been using Linode at Relay for years to host our advertising tracking system where for instance, this ad copy is hosted, and it's been super easy to work with over the years to make upgrades and changes, and their support really is out of this world. Linode has pricing options to suit everyone. Their plans start at just one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month, and they offer high memory plans starting at 16 gigs of RAM. And Linode has a special offer. As a listener of Mac Power Users, you can go over to linode.com MPU and use the promo code MPU2019 to get 20 bucks towards any Linode plan. On the one gig of RAM plan, that's four free months. And with a seven-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose. Give Linode a try today. That's linode.com MPU and the promo code MPU2019 to learn more, sign up, and make the most of that $20 credit. My thanks to Linode for their support of Mac Power Users. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the uh, the classrooms themselves. And I'm really curious sort of what the state of technology is in, in the classrooms that you that you oversee as principal. I know in my elementary school that, that my kids are in, there's... There's actually not a lot of tech, less than I sort of expected. And I'm, I'm curious to know where y'all are with that and, you know, how that's been, if there is tech there. What's that like to oversee as a principal? How do you juggle managing, you know, things like screen time and expectations when it comes to kids and technology? Uh, one of the one of the benefits of being an elementary school principal is, you know, we have a we have an exceptional amount of control over the screen time of our students. Um, I think the, the older that our students are getting, uh, the more that schools have realized they're fighting a losing battle when it comes to um, you know, trying to keep tech out of a student's hand. And, and I think there are legitimate reasons to keep technology out of a student's hands from time to time. It, it depends on what you're doing in the classroom. At an elementary school, we're, we're in this nice sweet spot because uh, kids love to use tech. And so anytime you're bringing technology into a lesson, uh, you sort of automatically have kids' attention, and and it becomes a uh, a great sort of opener to say, you know, back in back when I was a kid, when you walked in the classroom and you see the TV sitting on the cart, you knew it was going to be a great day. Well, the the difference now is kids come in, they see the you know the Chromebook cart, and uh, you know, or the uh, the stack of iPads on the side, and they know, okay, we're going to be using some technology today. So they're you automatically have some excitement level there. So in our typical class classroom. Uh, this is true really K to five. So we, uh, we're a smart board district. Um, our, our district does provide principals a bit of freedom in the terms of technology that they buy. Uh, however, uh, te- and I think this is a really smart way that 
that our IT department has done this. What IT will say is um, you can buy whatever you want to buy as a principal. You're the boss. You decide how you spend your money. But we're only going to work on uh, this brand. <laughs> so it's kind of like you can buy it if you want to. But if, if it goes wrong, uh, you know, you better have bought this particular brand. And, and, they, and they do that because there's just no way that our, our de- that department could keep up with every single piece of technology. So right. uh, so the, so those brands for us are, you know, in terms of, um, you know, classroom displays. So uh, interactive displays is really the category there. Our, our district uh, is a smart board district. Uh, so if you're if you're familiar with smart technologies, it's a um, educational suite of of um, software and hardware. Uh, they make the uh, inter- interactive display panels. Um, and now they're they're up to like the 8000 series. But everything after 6000 was um, the it used to be that you had to match. You had to pair a, um, a projector with a smart board. And what happened was you had this this big white, you know, white uh, screen. And when you pressed your finger on the white screen, there was an electrode on the back of it that touched a sensor that you couldn't see. And then that meant that's where the cursor was going to be. So you could do a lot with that. You could have, uh, you could have pencil or, you know, pens that you could write with on, on the, and then whatever you did on the screen, then that was then projected on top of what you were writing. So that was sort of the magic of the smart board originally. Well, what that has turned into are these, you know, basically gigantic TVs. So we, you know, the 6,000 series uses these uh, 60 inch television screens, uh, with a kind of an overlay on top of those. So those become interactive. So kids can write on them at the same time. You can change colors. You have, uh, some basic whiteboard space on there, but you can also bring up any website, any, any, you know, PDF copy of anything, and you can write right on it. So, uh, the interactive displays that we have one of those in every single classroom. So for teachers, uh, all of our teachers are issued, uh, MacBook airs, um, and, and, you know, that, that includes our, uh, support staff and things like that. So all of those folks have MacBook airs, uh, our students, uh, use a combination of, um, Chromebooks and iPads. And so those are the devices that IT says, yeah, we'll work on those. We'll fix those if problems come up. So we use a particular brand of uh, Chromebook. I honestly don't remember what the brand is, but it's a uh, uh, reasonably priced. They, they work really well. They last for a good three to four years. And then, you know, we kind of have a, a rolling um, uh, schedule of replacing those devices. Now at the high school level, so from 12th grade down to sixth grade, our district is one-to-one, which means all of our students are issued a device at the beginning of the year, and they keep up with that device throughout the entire year. Um, and at the elementary level, we are not at an official one-to-one level. And I'll be honest with you, um, that has we have not found that to really hold us back. I think when when the idea of going one-to-one came around, it was this, you know, you kind of had to go all or nothing. Everybody it was really popular to have to say, oh yeah, our school or our school district is one-to-one, but in an elementary school, we have found that as long as we have about a class set for each grade level, which means it's usually about 30 devices, um, you know, for a grade level. So our fifth grade, we've got, you know, 75 kids, 77 kids. Uh, they have 30 devices for the grade level. And we have absolutely no problem whatsoever uh, sharing those devices. We never have any overlap. We never have any staff who, you know, they, they have a lesson that involves a Chromebook and they can't get a hold of a Chromebook. We just, we have enough. Um, uh, it's funny because there's the, there's this interesting, uh, transition at about the second grade age 
where the kids like iPads, but they also like the Chromebooks. And so um, we've tried to find the nice transition time around that age to where, okay, the iPads are useful, but we also need to train kids how to use a keyboard and how to use a trackpad and how to use, you know, how to navigate Google and and, and those kinds of things. So um, that's been a, an interesting challenge as a principal to find the right device for the right age. You know, kindergarten, first grade is really easy. Uh, fourth grade, fifth grade, really easy. That second to third grade age it's kind of a combination of iPads and and Chromebooks, and so uh, finding that has been uh, finding that sweet spot has been an, an an interesting challenge. And then, of course, when things go wrong, it does not hurt that my school has a very nerdy guy as their principal, because uh, you know we can we can troubleshoot things a lot without having to put them into uh, technology work orders and things like that. I hope that answered your question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it. it's it's super interesting. I'm curious about the uh, about the smart board and the integration with, uh, you know, the, the Macs and iPads that the staff are using. Is that something where the Macs, you know, see them as an external display or are they sort of a silo to themselves? No, they do. They they you can do t- a couple of different things. Um, so you can definitely hardwire those in. And, and that just is, um, you know, it's an HDMI cable into your MacBook. So. Uh, our whole school lives in Dongletown, and uh, because you know, no Mac has a HDMI input. So, um, you know, for the heirs, that means you're using the um, HDMI to what is that Thunderbolt, I guess, um, mm-hmm. uh, adapter. And uh, so, our you know, anytime we buy a smart board, we go ahead and buy that dongle as well. <laughs> and uh, and it just is kind of standard operating procedure. So, uh, but but yeah, so you plug in. It's uh, it sees it as an external display. Now that gives you the video. Uh, what happens though is you're also going to need the um, the the touch uh, interaction with the smart board because the the beauty of a smart board is that kids can now get up out of their seat and they can interact with that technology, you know, using a using a, a digital pen, using their finger, um, you know, their whole hand. There's a couple different gestures that go along with that, and so to to connect the the touch uh, interaction, it's a simple USB connection. So. You're basically plugging two things in. You're plugging in a USB, which controls your touch. You're plugging in a, um, you know, a, a HDMI through Thunderbolt adapter to do the video. Um, now, recently with the with this particular series and the newer ones, they have the functionality where you can AirPlay to the device. Now, it's obviously it's not a doesn't have an Apple TV in there, but it does have AirPlay capabilities. Uh, it also additionally has uh, Chromecast capabilities as well. Um, so you, you essentially can take your MacBook and you can be anywhere in the classroom and you can display what's on your computer on that screen. Now, of course you, you lose the touch capability. So if you're, if you're air playing, you know, the touch does nothing, you know, you go up and touch the screen. It just, it does nothing. Um, but if all you're doing is displaying some data, some piece of information or, a uh, you know, a Google slides presentation or, you know, something like that, it's a terrific, uh, feature, you know, and of course with airplay that, that air plays your. Um, you know, your audio across there as well. And so, you know, you've got audio and video coming across the the air. And that has been, uh, for our teachers who've discovered it uh, or who we've shown that feature, uh, that it's a freeing thing that it used to be, you had to be right there next to your smart board. Your computer was sort of tied to that smart board. Well, now you can be anywhere in the classroom. You can go sit next to a particular student or, um, you know, you can, you can be at the back of the room teaching and it really, it has changed the, um, the way that we approach, uh, the actual teaching part of education. I think as a parent, I go to back to school night and I see these really cool looking smart boards and I totally want to get up and like start playing with them. 
but then the the teachers then they put the the slides on the back to school slides. You know, it's Comic Sans, and it's like it's like <laughs> oh, a thousand no. words per page, and my heart just breaks. I'm like, what are they doing with this stuff? It it is it is a little heartbreaking when you run into a classroom and and the only thing that you're seeing is just the display of information because you have a really cool piece of technology that is just right there at your fingertips that you know really it, it's it's a shame that I tell you I, I I almost want to look at a teacher who does that and say you know listen let's just get you an Apple TV and and a and a 55 inch television and we'll just put it in here because. You know, that's what you're using it as. And I, I don't mean to be ugly or anything like that. But if that if all you want is to project it, listen, we can find something much cheaper than a $3,000 piece of technology. Right. What it comes down to is, you know, as a, as a principal, and this is one of my challenges, I've got to make sure my teachers, um, they have the most updated technology. But the other part of my responsibility is to make sure that they know how to use it. And so, you know, I look at that as when, when I walk into a classroom and that's what I see, my first response to that is as the administrator, I think, okay, what more can we do as a, as an administrative team to support our teachers to make sure they have the training in place? Because look, we're not dealing with stupid people. You know, teachers are very hardworking human beings and, and, and they're, and usually they're very intelligent people. And so, you know, I know that they know how to do a lot of things, but a lot of things they don't know how to do and, and they just haven't been trained. And so, you know, instead of getting frustrated with that, what I, what I try to do is, is to make sure that they have the tools at their fingertips to be able to do that. Um, the way I approach that, of course, is to say, you know, listen, I noticed you doing something, you know, whatever it is in your classroom. Is there a way that I can, you know, is there a way that I can make that more efficient or uh, essentially look very appealing to that teacher? If I can make uh, a piece of technology or, you know, something uh, fancy do make their job easier, then I have got their attention. And once I've done that, then we can make some real moves in, in, the, in, in the field of using technology in the classroom. Nobody uses this stuff but education. I, I just rarely see it anywhere else. I'm I'm just kind of I wonder sometimes why this stuff hasn't taken off more in you know private industry. Yeah, I agree. I, it's funny because one of the things you, we talk about in education, um, and this is true really K to twelve, is we we as teachers we see ourselves as sort of trainers of the future. You know, we're we're training kids to interact in a future that doesn't even exist yet. You know, one of the mantras that we we keep fresh on our mind is. Is, you know, our kids will have jobs and that have not been invented yet. You know, they're they're going to have you know roles in our society that don't even exist, and so we're preparing them for something that we we have very little ideas about. Um, and so you know, and, and sometimes we get it right. You know, sometimes we you know look the use of computers in a classroom, giving kids experience, that is the right way to go because you can't, you can't have a job now that doesn't involve some level of computing. Um, you know, but it's, but you're right, David, I, it's not something that, um, that takes off in the form of what a smart board will do. Here's my argument to it though. Um, you look at, you look at things like the iPad, you look at things like uh, point of sale devices, those kinds of things. And every bit of that is moving more and more toward the touch interaction. And I think what we need to be teaching kids is not necessarily here's how you use a smart board, right? Smart board, that's one tool. It, it's like saying, here's how you use an iPhone. Well, look, in 10 years, iPhone's going to look really different. In 10 years, the smart board's going to look really different. What we need to be training our students to do is be flexible when it comes to technology, is understanding that technology is going to change every year and you got to be ready for what's coming, you know? So uh, I, I think learning how to interact with technology on a touch basis 
has been has been one of the best skills our kids can learn, whether or not they use an actual smart board in the in in a business at some point or not. You know, it's uh, it's uh, it almost becomes a moot point. What uh, what led to the decision to go with the the Google backend? You know, there there are several options here for schools to choose, and maybe that was sort of at the the district level. But what are some of the, at the very least? What are some of the pros and cons you've discovered living in that ecosystem? Well, I, I will I will tell you. I think that it goes to a, a cost. I mean, I I, I don't. I don't know exactly what Apple's solutions are for backing up, you know, emails for a district, but I'll tell you, Google is, is really from what I see from, you know, talking to superintendents to, you know, doing some of the grad school work that I'm doing, you you can't, you just can't find anything that's a better price than Google that's out there. You know, you're, you're essentially, you know, uh, getting what amounts to a free service that is just incredible. You do pay some when you get to the size of a school district, but it is, you know, we I, I can remember the days when we were using um, Lotus Notes, you know, and and to go from Lotus Notes to Gmail was just a gigantic leap in time. But um, in terms of Google versus Apple Classroom, I, I I think what happens is people are people are used to the um, you know having a Gmail. You look at the amount of amount of folks and and the emails that they're using. It's just so many people use. Google's products that, you know, to make that transition is, is great. Not only that, but, you know, we're talking about the work that we do in a, in a, in a school system, it is a document heavy business. And so for us, we have, you know, just uh, thousands uh, of documents that are used district wide. And so, you know, to, to, you know, to use something that is so reliable on the collaboration piece, uh, you know, I personally, I, I think, um, you know, I think Pages outdoes every uh, uh, word processor that's out there. It, there's nothing else that looks as beautiful as a Pages document. It, it, nobody competes. But there's also nothing that competes with Google's ability to to run collaboration um, on such a on such a grand scale. I, I mean, to talk about no lag whatsoever, seeing live updates those are those are huge pieces. And then. You have a folder structure that very much mimics a folder structure that people are very much used to. So when you got people who, you know, technology is maybe not their their best subject there, you know, when you can when you can talk about folder structures, they're used to folder structures. And that's the way Google is built. It's built with that that common language. And you can have that conversation even with teachers who are maybe a little bit reluctant on that. So that's my theory anyway. I mean, I'm not in the education field, but it seems from the outside to me like Google has just been eating Apple's lunch as of the last few years. Yeah, I, I, I don't even think Apple's really uh, they're, they're compared to what Google's doing. I mean, they're a competitor for sure, but they're just not holding the market share. And 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 really what happens is when you approach a school board and, and I think some of this comes back from who sits on a school board. You know, generally speaking, you have, um, you know, it, it, I, I don't know if every district is this way, but most North Carolina districts are this way. You can't be a teacher or a principal or a school employee and also sit on the school board. So often what happens is the school board is made up of, you know, uh, individuals who are retired. Um, you know, they, they may actively have a job now, but it's not a job that, uh, you know, they have some time, I guess, because it's a pretty demanding uh, responsibility. So, you know, they're they're not used to, uh, you know, hanging out with some of the latest and greatest technology. So when you bring something like Google, which is intuitive, um, it, it just makes sense. You know, they're they're ready to sign on. And so, 
you know, you look at making a decision that large, um, that becomes a, a big deal for school boards and, and for, you know, your technology staff, you know, our, we have a pretty extensive IT staff in our district that does a, a lot of work. And so, you know, Google gives them a ton of tools on the administrative side to be able to, um, you know, to be able to pull things like, you know, we, our, my email is public record. So, you know, if the, uh, if, if I ever have to deal with some kind of litigation, then, you know, our, our IT staff can just grab, you know, uh, uh, my emails from this date to this date. And there it is. It's just that simple. So uh, I just think the tools that they give educators are, they're just far more intuitive and they've just been, they've just done a better job hands down. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. Enter offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Why don't you make your next move with Squarespace? I sure have. I've set up my legal website, Mac Sparky, all through Squarespace, and it's been so much easier since I did that. As much as I like the internet, I don't want to be in the website building business. Squarespace handles that for me. With Squarespace, you can create an online store, portfolio, blog. They have an all-in-one platform that lets you do whatever you need on the internet. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has got it all covered, and they have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, and all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. The reason I went to Squarespace was because the service I was using before required way too much effort by me. Without even realizing it, I had broken plugins and vulnerabilities on my website that was going to take me a lot of time to sort out. So instead, I just switched to Squarespace and I let them take care of all of those problems for me. I've never looked back. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash mpu and when you decide to sign up use the offer code mpu to get 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or domain and to show your support for the mac power users once again that's squarespace.com slash mpu and the code mpu to get 10 percent off your first purchase we thank squarespace for their support of this show and all of relay fm squarespace make your next move make your next website Jake, one thing we haven't talked about is that while you're doing all this, you're also, as you, by your own words, a full-time student. How do you hold all that together? Well, I um, I, I have learned to live by schedule. Um, so, so a couple of things have come into play for me. Uh, one is a pretty, um, uh, let's see, what's the word I'm looking for? A, uh, I'm pretty strict on myself when it comes to my weekly review. Um, so that is, uh, you know, I've, I've been a, uh, a devotee to the GTD methodology now for um, a, a good six, seven years. Um, I, I like to tell people the only other book that changed my life more than getting things done was the Bible. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's uh, for me, it's a, it's a pretty big deal um, to make sure I hit that weekly review every week. I don't hit it. Um, I'd say in a month's time it, or in a six months time, I'm hitting it. I may be missing you know, two or three Fridays. Uh, I do my weekly re review on a Friday afternoon uh, after all the teachers have left, which is generally right after school. Friday is one of those days where you don't have a lot of teachers staying late. So uh, I like to stay late. The building gets really quiet and I uh, put on a pair of headphones or my, my AirPods and uh, I get to work. So I, I listen to a little bit of um, uh, 
just some some tunes. I try to pick some stuff that I don't even really know the words, so I don't pay attention to it, and I get right to work. So I have a weekly review checklist. Um, that actually is a uh, a shortcut for me. Um, and so I, I run through that weekly review, which uh, which basically takes me through. Uh, I have a couple of ways I, I can do it. I've been experimenting with doing a, a literal checklist in GoodNotes, um, and, and that works pretty good. And then I have, if I'm feeling, you know, like I want to do an OmniFocus version, uh, I've got um, uh, task paper, um, uh, basically, that I've created. Uh, put that in as a text um, input in shortcuts, and then it creates a draft for me in, ta- in uh, task paper. And then, then it runs an automatic um, uh, action, which is task paper to OF created by the Rosemary Orchard. And, uh, and then that goes into OmniFocus and I run through the checklist from there. So, uh, so that review is really important. Uh, I go through, you know, some of the standards that's in that GT methodology and I've customized that for me, uh, to, to run through some, some principle specific things, but I also run through, uh, where I'm at, where I stand with grad school. I take a look at those projects. Um, I take a look at my home projects, uh, all that kind of stuff. And, and that, that all gets reviewed every week. And I clean all that up to make sure that I'm ready for the next morning because the next morning is when the magic happens. So every Saturday morning, and I think David, you and I, you and I chatted about this. Um, the next morning involves a 4 a.m. rise and a trip to uh, right now. It's it's between Waffle House and um, there's a Denny's near my house that uh, that that I that I like to go to as well. So uh, <laughs> that this is while this sounds really crazy, and I agree, it very much is. With a 14 month old, a 15 year old, uh, a wife whom I love very much, it is very hard to get a lot of work done at home, especially when the kids are up. When you know my wife's you know doing things, and and I want to be with my family. So I found that my family does not like to get up before about 9 a.m. on a Saturday morning. Um, I am a morning person, so I rise about 4 a.m. and I head out to uh, to a, a good breakfast spot, and I, I put on the headphones, and I get right to work with grad school. I only work on grad school on that Saturday morning, and what that allows me to do is get about four to five hours of solid grad school work, and and you know we I, you hear a lot about getting into flow states and things like that, and I honestly, I get into a flow state about once a week when it comes to grad school, and I just... You know, I've already done my weekly review, so I know exactly the tasks that I need to do. Uh, I know exactly how much writing I need to get done. You know, I've got textbooks with me. Oftentimes those are on my iPad and I am just banging out some papers and, you know, I might write uh, 30, 40 pages, you know, sitting in, in one sitting where I'm just, you know, I'm just constantly going at it and, uh, you know, doing research and things like that. So, um it, it's it's kind of funny how I've landed on Denny's or Waffle House because I've had this sort of spirit quest of finding the perfect place, which for me involves three very, very important things. Number one is Wi-Fi. I cannot do my work without Wi-Fi. So uh, my local wa- Waffle House does have okay Wi-Fi. It's, it's, it, it works out okay. Um, but the other two things are uh, really good coffee and a uh, pretty good breakfast. So I'm a, my wife and I were big coffee nerds. Uh, we like to really get into the, uh, the, the specifics around coffee. And so I, I need some decent coffee. I need good breakfast food and I need good Wi-Fi. Well, the, the, the two places that have that near, anywhere near me is uh, Denny's. I don't know if that's a national chain or if it's a local thing. Yeah, yeah, uh, and, okay. Gotcha. And, uh, and, and Waffle House. And I'm pretty sure that one's national too. So, uh, you know, the, the Waffle House, they both have good breakfast, pretty good coffee, 
and uh, and Wi-Fi. So uh, I sit there for a good five hours with my headphones in. They probably think I'm nuts over there. Uh, and uh, I get a lot of work done. So uh, that has been my my workflow now for uh, a good year and a half. It has worked really, really well. And I will probably continue doing that until I have achieved my doctorate. And then I might too sleep till 9 a.m. one Saturday morning. Who knows? <laughs> you need to at least once. <laughs> just, well, just one time. <laughs> a couple of things you talked about. Uh, the first was the idea of creating your weekly review list with a with a um, a shortcut script. Or you could do this on the Mac with Keyboard Maestro. But I think that's something that people overlook. Uh, one-time lists, whether using reminders or OmniFocus. And I believe Things has support for this as well. Um, rather than keeping those resident in your task manager, just creating them on demand is a power tip that I think a lot of people never think about. But once you get some automation chops, it's trivial to make those. Um, so that's something I think you do that's really useful. And then um, straying into focus territory. Um, to me, one of the biggest game changers for me ever was when I learned to plan my tasks the night before and do them in the morning. There is something to be said for just waking up and starting. I don't, for me, that, that is, that's gold. Yeah. The fact that I can get out of my house in about, in about 15 minutes, I can go from asleep to driving in 15 minutes um, and, and not having to worry about, okay, do I have the things, do I have all the stuff, you know, all that stuff gets packed the night before down to, you know, I lay out my clothes, uh, you know, shower the night before. So when I, when I, you know, when the alarm goes off, um, it, it's a steady, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm dressed and ready to go. I'm in my truck and, and I'm headed down the road in 10 to 15 minutes. And by the time that I get there, I'm fully awake, you know, and, and I open up my computer and, you know, I've only got the only apps that are open are, you know, maybe Chrome and OmniFocus. And I, I know exactly what I'm doing. I couldn't agree with you more, David, having that planned out the day before, if I, if I rolled into, uh, you know, Waffle House at four fifteen in the morning with a uh, with not a planned task, man. You know, the the best thing about that morning is going to be the waffles. That's for sure. <laughs> the um, so in terms of getting that work done, do you, do you are you on the MacBook or are you on the iPad at that point? Generally, if I'm if I'm doing heavy duty writing, um, I, I'm on the MacBook, and the reason for that is is um, I'm generally switching between. Uh, I, I do a lot of my writing uh, either in. Um, Ulysses or in a Google document. So um, Google has come a long way in terms of being able to do headings uh, the right way. I, I have to write because I'm in graduate school for an education field. We write in uh, MLA and that's our, that's our, you know, standard, um, you know, keeping uh, uh, citations and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so that's, you know, that's, there's a certain way it has to be headed and uh, a certain way you do your, you know, your resources, your sites, you know, cite citations at the end and all that kind of stuff. So uh, what happened, what I've developed is um, a, uh, a Google document that is basically a template. So I, I don't ever write in this template, but I've created the the standard headings. I've created the um, the spacing on the cover page, the the running headers, all the, you know, the page numbers, everything uh, is, is already created. So when I go to start a new essay, a new paper for graduate school, I basically create a copy of this and then I run through and I create the, uh, the outline for that. And, and, and I go from there. So that has been, that has been kind of a, uh, a way to get into, um, uh, a topic pretty quickly. And so I match that up with a little bit of brainstorming. Uh, uh, I'm a big mind node fan. And, uh, so I, I, you know, I generally start with a mind node, but once I've got my plan, uh, down, then I, I jump right over to that Google document and I start writing uh, pretty heavily. So 
yeah, it works out works out pretty well. Yeah, I, I use on a couple of my collaborative projects, I use Quip instead of Google Docs and Google Sheets. And it is much better on iOS. I mean, it's it's a smaller company, and I know there's other reasons not to want to use it for some people, but but if uh, you if you do a lot of iOS based stuff, I find Quip far superior. But who knows? I'll I'll definitely definitely have to look into that. One. Maybe they'll turn a new leaf. Well, if, if your school's on Google Docs, you're out of you're out of luck already. Yeah, well, there you go. That's very true. <laughs> Secretly copying and pasting from Quip to Google Docs when no one's looking. Yeah, that's not the solution. Don't do that. You don't want to lead a double life. You're right. It is frustrating with that. But I'll tell you, that's, uh, you know, I have done some of that with um, even with things like Ulysses. You know, I, there's something about um, if I if I just really do want to get away from my computer, get into one single app and do some some uh, some heavy duty writing, um, you know, just in just just focus really on the writing and, and leave everything else behind. Uh, Ulysses has become a great tool for that because it is. You know, I can still. Yeah. I can still do my headings. Um, you know, in fact, there was a, uh, not too long ago, I discovered the, uh, what is the, I'm, I'm not sure what it's called, but there's like a gallery of certain templates with, uh, with Ulysses. I can't remember what this is called, but you can, uh, they have these templates basically where you can, you know, you can write with headings and it'll turn those headings into, um, you know, the right, I think I said MLA to begin, but it's, it's APA. So I, I think I said that wrong. Uh, but anyway, it turns those headings into an APA standard. Um, and so you can basically write an entire APA document uh, right in Ulysses, and when you when you hit that export button to go to the PDF version, it will translate that entire document into a correctly formatted, or for the most part, correctly formatted uh, APA document. So then you can just copy that stuff, paste it into a either a Word document or a Google document, and you and you sort of got the whole thing. Uh, but there's something beautiful about the simplicity of writing in an app like uh, Ulysses, and and even even getting a lot of writing out. So have you, have you played with the idea of like, you know, putting separate sections or things in different buckets of text in Ulysses and moving them around to see how, do you ever do any of that stuff? I I don't, although it it would not be a far stretch from what I do now, because um, I've, I've learned that as I, as I write the, uh, the, you know, the Google the Google Docs version of this is that whole outline stuff. You know, yeah. the left-hand side of a Google document, you've got the outline, and that allows you to jump to different different sections. Now, I say that to say, you know, the biggest paper I've written so far, which is nothing to shake a stick at, it's about eighty pages, uh, and and that's no sm- you know trivial trivial thing. But I, I I do have this dissertation coming up in a couple of years, uh, and I have a feeling that that's going to be even more of a document to where I'm going to have to live uh, sort of a, as you put it in different buckets, you know, there are different sections and in those sections, it's pretty strict on, you know, what you can write and what you can't write. And you've got to include this in here and that and there. And, and so, you know, living in that kind of world, um, you know, there's a lot to be said about keeping, you know, keeping very isolated sections until you get toward that final product, then you can take everything and put it into one document. And when I wrote uh, iPad at work and, and Mac at work for, for Wiley all those years ago, each one was about 120,000 words. So it was, a, it was a lot of words. And I did it in Scrivener uh, at the time, but it's the same principle where you have these buckets of text and I wrote them kind of inside out. I wrote, started in the middle and kind of wrote my way to the edges because I knew sure. the meat of the content, but I wasn't exactly sure how I wanted to start things and end things. And um, having that ability to just grab whole sections 
and move them around is powerful. And the, the other thing that's powerful about that is um, both Ulysses and Scrivener have ways of reporting to you, you know, which ones have text in them, how much text they have in them. So you can like, you know, get, you know, be finishing off your waffles for the day and say, okay, what bucket do I fill today? And it's just a great way to just make progress every time you sit down. I think that's a, I think that's a good spot to wind it down. Well, uh, Jake, we've gone too long, but couldn't help myself. There's still stuff in the outline. Um, we uh, appreciate you coming in. Uh, uh, anywhere people could go to find you, Jake, if they want to get in touch. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I, I am uh, some. I'm, I'm an active observer on Twitter. Uh, my, my Twitter handle is Jake underscore E underscore Wilson. Um, and so I, you know, spent a little bit of time over there, especially looking around, happy to connect with folks there. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, business stuff and consulting stuff, uh, my website is jakewilson.solutions. I love that we can have these custom, uh, URLs yeah. these days. And that's really uh, good. Actually, <laughs> I, get, I get so excited when I can buy jakewilson.ninja. Um, so I do own that one. That one's one of my favorites. I haven't done anything with it, but I do, you know, I, I have the URL, so snag that one up. But yeah, jakewilson.solutions is, uh, it's a, a website that I designed using Squarespace and, um, it's a good place to connect up with me. Um, and then, um, you know, that's probably, those two are probably the best way to, to jump out there, Twitter and, and, and my website. It's probably the, the quickest way to get in touch with me. So. I think for your ninja site, you should just have a, a picture just of your face covered in a ninja mask so we can just see your eyes. That's all. I like it. I like no it. links, no text, just that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we all appreciate everything you're doing. I mean, uh, you know, you're, you're really carrying the torch in education for technology. And of course, we appreciate that. And any principal that's using shortcuts to get his work done every day is one of my favorite principles. I'm just going to say that. You know, um, uh, and uh, if you are also involved in education, this would be a great show to kind of step in the forums and let us know what you're doing and and talk about that in the comments to this show. I'm always interested to hear about this stuff. And uh, and thank you so much, Jay. <laughs> thank you so much, Jake, for coming into the show today. Thank you to our sponsors, One Password, Omni, Squarespace, and Linode. And we will see you all next week. Thanks so much. 